This morning, we, we have a gospel reading that is intimately familiar to many of us. It's a story we have, most of us all, heard. And, and it's so common that I think it can be challenging, difficult for us to slow down and actually hear it for what it really is and means to us. Uh, maybe you have heard this story before, like I have, and heard people say that the, the main point is make sure that you aren't like Martha. Just don't be like Martha. Because Martha's busyness, it reveals to us the way domestic responsibilities, they can eclipse the more important spiritual realities at hand. So don't be like Martha. She is, she's domestically fussy. But personally, I don't think that's really what this passage is about. I don't think it's about domestic fussiness. And furthermore, hospitality seems to me very, very important throughout the larger body of the Bible. In fact, our Old Testament reading speaks directly to this, and we'll get to that in a minute. And even at the beginning of the passage, you see, of course, it's, it's Martha who welcomes Jesus into their home. I'll just remind you, this, this long-standing and famous relationship between Jesus and these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who raises Jesus, who is raised by Jesus from the dead, this, this very uh, famous relationship, it begins here with, with Martha's hospitality. She is the hospitable one. So now there's another interpretation here that I also don't think is quite right, which is that this passage is about uh, pitting spiritual things against material things. If you go and, and read ancient commentaries and such, which I like to do, many of them are very good, but they actually often get this one wrong. This is a story that is about the importance of the spiritual realities at hand versus the sort of baser physical uh, stuff of this world. But the problem there is, of course, Jesus is physical, Right? He is a human being. He is fully man, which means that he cares about physical things. I mean, think about it this way. He probably eats whatever it is that Martha prepares for them. Jesus cares about the physical world. He's human. So I don't think that this passage is about shaming those of us who are domestically inclined, nor do I think this passage is about showing the greater importance of spiritual matters versus the physical. I believe that the real meaning of this passage is revealed precisely in what Jesus tells these two sisters, which is, Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. And then he says, the good portion that she receives will never be taken away from her. You see, I think this passage, this passage is about that good portion. More than anything else, it is about that good portion. And you need to not miss it miss what that good portion is. It is the one thing that cannot be removed and that one thing that is durable beyond all things is receiving and dwelling in and consuming the intimate and tangible instruction of Jesus Christ. That's what she does. In other words, the one thing that is necessary for Mary and for us is not first to do something, rather it is to consume and that's an uncomfortable truth for many of us. But this is, in fact, exactly what St. Augustine points out. I read a sermon that he wrote just about the, if you ever want to try to make a good sermon, read what old people say. It's often helpful. So he has this really remarkable sermon, and, and within that sermon, he has this quote that I think, I hope you like it as much as I do. It's fantastic. Listen. He says, Martha is serving, but what is Mary doing? What was she enjoying what was she eating? He says, I'm persistent on this point because I'm enjoying it too. 
I will venture to say that she was eating the one she was listening to. I mean, if she was eating truth, didn't he say himself, I am the truth? And then he says, what more can I say? He was being eaten because he was the bread. He says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven and will ever satisfy you. Isn't it beautiful? But you see what he's getting at. You see the main point here. The story isn't so much about prioritizing time or some general notion of spirituality. It's will you sit down and consume the goodness of Jesus Christ? Will you let him feed you? Unless you do that, he says, unless you let Jesus Christ feed you, not only can you never give, not only will you not have anything to give, but you can't even truly live. That's his point. He says, Jesus says, in fact, quote, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But, he says, if you do that, if you consume me, you'll have something that can never, ever be taken away from you. It can't be taken away. I like to think of it like this. I heard this um, story from a bishop once. Uh, back in the 40s, there was this powerful European leader who joined the, the Polish resistance movement against the Germans, but eventually he was captured by um, uh, Soviets, Russian territory. And because he was a senior member of this resistance movement, they, uh, they tortured him and tried to extract information from him. And they, they did this, of course, by physical torture, but then they also did it by finding out the intimate details of his life and then uh, manipulating them into accusations and guilt. So, for instance, they found out that he was a father. And then they described to him how he was actually a failure. How his kids would only ever think how their father didn't really love them. And then he found out the names, they found out the names of his friends, his closest comrades. And they told him that he was actually an unfaithful friend. He was never that good to them in the first place. And furthermore, they didn't really care for him at all. And then they even manipulated his sense of resistance, his courage. They said, your courage is just hypocrisy. It's not even real. You are a coward. And oddly enough, this man never broke. He never, he never broke under the pressure. And the reason why he ends up describing this later on in his life, he writes this, he says, when they told me that I was a coward, I already knew that. When they told me that I had filthy thoughts, I already knew that as well. When they showed me all of my inadequacies, I could tell them plainly, gentlemen, I am much worse than you think. You see, I have been taught ever since I can remember that it was unnecessary to justify myself because one has already done that for me. Of course, he means Jesus Christ, the one who has paid for our sins with his blood. But you see what I'm getting at. The point of this story is the goodness and the graciousness and the guidance of Jesus. If you are willing to consume it, if you will humble yourself to receive his graciousness over you and his gentle instruction, it can become so embedded into your person and into your heart that nobody can take it away from you. No one. And this is exactly what happens with Mary. Think about it. I realize that there are debates about whether this Mary who stood at the feet of Jesus teaching, whether or not she was the same Mary at the end of the Gospels who witnessed his crucifixion, but I side with the larger Christian tradition. I think it was. I think that it was this Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus who also watched 
Jesus die on a cross. She also watched him be removed from that cross, dead, completely dead. She watched him be buried. Then she watched all of his friends scatter, and the whole game ended in defeat. And then she was also the same one while she was weeping at the tomb of her master, who is the first witness of the resurrected Jesus. You think about that, do you see the privilege of that station? She is the first human being to see the risen Jesus. In some ways, you could say that she is the very first Christian. And so why her? Why Mary? I believe because what she had received was something that could never, ever be taken away from her. It was hers. Now, speaking personally, I I do have to admit that I I think consuming and receiving Jesus' goodness for us, which he offers to us freely, is much harder than we let on, isn't it? It's almost like when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and you remember, they almost can't do it because it feels so unbalanced. It almost feels inappropriate that the master would wash the feet of his disciples. But according to Augustine, and according to Jesus himself, we have, he says, no place with him unless we let him feed us. And I think that that means there is some intentionality involved in our part. And I think this is where our Old Testament reading actually comes to life. It is incredibly helpful. I won't go through the whole thing. We don't have much time. But real quickly, you remember this story. It's about Abraham and his wife Sarah who had received this incredible promise from God that they would uh, become a nation. It's Genesis chapter 15. You can go back, check it out. He says that all of their offspring will be as many as the stars and the heaven. And and furthermore, that their, their, their children will become a kingdom. But there's one problem, and you remember what it is. Sarah can't have children. She's like 100. She's very, very old. And then one day, three men show up who are mysteriously, in some way, representative of God himself. And Abraham, to his credit, recognizes them for exactly who they are. And so he invites them into his tent. He brings them bread and water. He cleans them. He even prepares a whole meal for them. He goes and slaughters a calf to have dinner with them. And the language here is interesting. While they are sitting underneath a tree, and basically Abraham is serving them almost like a a waiter at a fine establishment, they tell him this remarkable truth. They say, this is a different translation, we will surely return, surely return this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. You see, to get the promise, To get the goodness of the promise, you have to offer the hospitality. See the point, Abraham and Sarah, they welcome these strangers into their own lives and they get a promise that is so good that Sarah actually laughs behind the door when she hears it. You remember that part? It is that good. And so I think it is worth asking at this point, what in your life, what in our life is impeding us from receiving these incredible promises that God has given freely to us? What's what's keeping us from receiving that promise? I think it could be time. Many of us, it's time. It also could be a sense of of shame or, uh, or even resentment. It could be some past trauma. It could be a relationship. It could be even a goal that you have that eclipses every other thing in your life. I have no idea what it is for you, but whatever that resistance is, what I want you to see this morning clearly 
is what's actually on offer to you. Think about it. In both readings, Abraham feeds Jesus, excuse me, Abraham feeds strangers, and he receives the promise of a coming kingdom, an entire nation of people who carry out God's character in the world. Mary and Martha feed Jesus, and they receive God incarnate into their own home, and they actually get the privilege of calling him friend. And so Augustine rightly asks us, who is actually feeding who here? See what I mean? Who is actually benefiting from this transaction? The point being, you feed Jesus. If you make space for him, if you attend to his word in your life, you get something that you could never, ever buy on your own. And you get something that can never, ever be taken away from you. You get a promise that is so good, you almost have to laugh at how unbelievable it is. And what's interesting here, friends, is I actually think you can see this at work in the world in a very tangible way. Here's how I I think about it. I've just now reached the age where I can watch people, where I have watched people go from from middle-aged into old age. I'm like, I'm in my mid-30s. So I've gotten to watch people go from like 50s, 60s, and 70s, 80s, and that sort of thing. And one of the things that I have noticed is that uh, some people age, and it's almost as if the burdens of the world begin to hang on their shoulders. It's probably their sins as well. They carry around the sort of baggage of life, and it just weighs them down. And slowly, they become more judgmental. They they, they can become more irritable. Often, they become uh, cynical. And then others age, and it happens in a different way. They slowly become more gentle. They become more quick to forgive. They have a presence of calm and peace. They become more gracious. Often, they laugh easier. There are lots of those kinds of people in here. And when you're with them, when you're with people like that, you leave their presence, and not only do you feel more hopeful, but you just love life more, don't you? It's a beautiful thing. I believe that what happens in those people who age with grace is that they are continually taught by God. They have opened up their hearts, they've opened up their lives, they have given themselves over to the gentle and intimate instruction of Jesus Christ in their lives. They have let the blessings and joys abide in their hearts richly. They have let the challenges and the pain of life teach them things about how they might become more compassionate and more gracious for others. In other words, they have received a way of thinking and believing and acting that oddly enough, after many, many years, simply cannot be removed from them. Isn't it remarkable? The world to them becomes this place, it's not about grinding you down, but it is a place of being drawn into the presence of God. And you see, that is exactly what happens when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus who comes into her house and she could do nothing else but sit at his feet and simply consume his grand teaching, instruction, and goodness over her. And of course, it made her into the kind of woman who could endure all things, the kind of person who could even hope at the feet of a Jesus hanging on a cross. And so, friends, I just would gently invite you today. If you're anything like me, I know that you are hungry and I know that you are thirsty. And Jesus simply says to all of us, I am the bread of heaven. I am the water of life. If you are willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life everlasting. Friends, won't you sit and eat?
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.